The NCL is an American professional cycling league set to launch in 2023. The NCL will feature closed course criterion cycling races in major cities across the United States and debut a new scoring system that awards points after each lap of the race and is designed to ensure high stakes drama. At the end of the four event series, there will be a million dollar prize breakdown. Today we speak with Kelly Staley, Vice President of Partnerships of the NCL. Welcome, Kelly Staley, to Bobby and Jens. I'm very excited to be here. It's been uh, it's been a while since I've had a chance to connect with two of my favorite guys in the Peloton. So, uh, looking forward to the next couple minutes talking to you guys about NCL. Well, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. That's what we need to clear up: is what NCL is, how it's going to work. But first of all, um, Jens has a, you know, a, a lot of fond memories from working with you in Tour of California. So, Jensi, why don't you start off with the first question this, uh, this time around? Alrighty. Tour of California, you worked there for the entire 12 years, correct? And your title was Vice President of Activation, correct? Correct. And... Now, just to give our listeners a little smile, tell us about the car you drove. What exactly did you drive to get from the start to the finish? I always loved that part of the story. So titles aside, I would never ask anyone to do something that I'm not willing to do myself. Uh, I also like to sort of lead from within the pack and didn't want necessarily one of my employees to have to drive it. But uh, even though I was managing our lovely automotive partnerships in Lexus and Nissan, I drove the cargo van that was loaded with boxes and boxes and boxes. And I loaded that van and I unloaded that van and I drove it 800 miles every single year and loved every second of it. <laughs> because I can't forget the first day you guys told me, well, yeah, that's my drive. That's what I do. I'm like, yeah, but you're the vice president. So like, and that's your drive. Said, yep. Like you just said, you wouldn't ask anybody else to do what you what you wouldn't be ready to do. So that's a great start. Our listeners, that's Kelly for you. <laughs> do you remember, Yenzi? You actually caught the mirror for a little uh, a little help up uh, Baldy one year when I was driving that van during the Grand Fondo. You hitched a ride for a couple couple Ks there. <laughs> I was actually really hoping you would have forgotten about that. <laughs> yes, I do remember. Yes, of course I do. It was a life-saving little moment. Yes, of course I do. Jeez. I mean, tour California. I mean, we weren't here to talk about that, but um, great memories, great race. Let's just hope that it comes back. But bike racing in America right now is is kind of in a lull, I'll admit. Um not as many races as my generation got to have. Basically, you could pick your race that you wanted to do over the weekend. But um, a little, a couple months ago or a couple weeks ago, all of a sudden, there was an announcement that the NCL, National Cycling League, was going to start and that yourself and a few other of our acquaintances were, were running it. And I guess my question is, National Cycling League, now I'm going way back. I'm thinking like mid-90s. There was something I believe had the same name that was backed by Franco Harris, you know, um, Hall of Fame running back from the Pittsburgh Steelers. Is this 
something new or is it a reiteration of the NCL back when Franco Harris was involved? Yeah, Bobby, you're exactly right. Um, we're not reinventing the wheel. What we're looking to do is to innovate and change um, and create some, you know, modifications to that former model to make it more sustainable and more interesting. So um, when you talk about the landscape of cycling in the U.S., uh, you know, having grown up in my in my cycling world, right, which is the last 20 ish years and to see. Um, the robust nature of that calendar from Georgia to Missouri, Utah, Colorado, those iterations in California, it's been hard for me to watch that go to the wayside. Um, I also had an intimate look uh, from the inside of Tour of California to understand the financials of that and how um, it, how a point-to-point race is very um, difficult to sustain from a revenue versus production um, line item. So um, what the NCL is, A, I think we can agree, I think, that while some of the road racing has gone away, and I'm so glad that Maryland um, it was on the calendar this year, it was great to see that, that race uh, pop up finally after um, a few years of being uh, defaulted due to, due to COVID. But, you know, the NCL being a crit style race creates the ability to make the sport more sustainable. And if you do look around the racing calendar in the U.S., there are about 50 criterium races, right? And because of that, you're talking about shutting a city down for shorter amounts of time, road closures, shorter amount of time. You're creating a a 1.2 to 1.5 course uh, KM course where, you know, you're engaging that spectator to consume the sport differently versus waiting on the side of the road for four hours to watch the guys fly by at 30 miles an hour. So what we're trying to do is, you know, create um, inclusivity from not only a spectator, but then encouragement for for people who look like us. We're trying to make the Peloton look like society, right? And that's one of the other um, sort of philosophical movements that, that we're behind at NCL. But we're really trying to change the makeup of what Criterium Racing looks like to help engage the spectator and even our athletes and our partners differently. So can you give us a quick view on the schedule on the the routes you plan, which cities, which parts of the U.S., is there anything already fixed you can share with us? Absolutely. Um, So for 2023, we're going to be producing four events and fielding two teams. Our two teams will then also race in um, other criterium races around the country. So their schedule won't be limited to the four races that we're producing. And I'll call them invitationals. And there's a reason why they're invitationals is because we have that latitude um, to go outreach to teams outside of the U.S. criterium um, team pool of teams, so to speak. Um, so a great example, um, Jens, is when have you ever seen a criterium race on Ocean Drive in Miami Beach at sunset during spring break in March? That's our first event in March. So as you can imagine, that's going to set the stage for our season. And what a better way to just come out with the flashbang, right? Right into the the glitz and glamour and the nightlife of Miami Beach to just show people how we want to approach the sport and, and our events differently. So go back a little bit because I... Jens and I are not journalists, but we're going to put our little journalist hat on here. <laughs> so it's... Only, you mentioned two teams. So those two teams would be officially associated with the NCL and they Correct. would race 
the entire year for that team, or can they come in from another team and just race the NCL events um, during during that specific event? So our super genius, uh, Reed McAlvin, who I'm sure both of you probably know or have run across him many years, he's he's deep seated in the sport, having worked, you know, with Axel um, and then also formerly Legion. He is actually head of um, teams and competition. So Reed has been working his booty off the last several months and signing our athletes. So we will be fielding two teams. Each team is comprised of eight men and eight women. So a total of 32 athletes will be underneath the NCL umbrella. Um, for lack of better terms, it will be team black and team gold. Uh, and they will race in all four of our events. But then also we will be putting um, those teams out into the rest of the U.S. criterium world. And then we will then fill the field with already established teams who are out there um, racing criterium races in the U.S. and the world right now. So at, at what size pelotons you you looking uh, looking at like a hundred riders fifty or what's what's the goal there how many right, you want to have right in the middle um, so I think we'll probably be around seventy two uh, our teams will be comprised of eight and eight but we're going to be um, asking teams to field six at for the actual races so um, a total of ten teams uh, on the men's side ten teams on the women's side each fielding um, six athletes interesting. Interesting. So basically what you're telling me, Team Black and Team Gold are two individual trade teams for the year. Exactly. Okay. And you said that you were going to have how many riders per team? And obviously it's going to be half men and half women. Correct. So each team, so uh, for the sake of conversation, Team Black will be eight men and eight women fielding six and six for each invitational And then um, that will be essentially the same model that will ask and invite the teams who will be filling the field will also field six riders. Um, but we will have a total of 32 athletes underneath our umbrella, and that will not include developmental um, riders who will be, um, you know, in some of the cities that will be uh, hosting events so that we've got, you know, obviously backup riders in case of injury or other things. And um, you would then have two races per night, a men's race, a women's race. Correct. But since they are in one team, their points, their results would count together as an overall result for the entire team, right? Exactly. There's just one ranking for the entire team combined, correct? Correct. And that's one of the things that makes um, NCL so unique is we're taking equity from top to bottom, right? So every single team um, on the men's side and women's side will have the same salary cap, they have the same equal number of resources, and their point total will be collectively put towards um, the series uh, accumulation of points. So it would be like the Los Angeles Sparks playing the first half and the Los Angeles Lakers playing the second half of a game, and that point total will be the final. So we're talking about the bottom line of actual racing. And I think, you know, we, we have a pretty good um, handle on that. But the NCL is not just about the racing itself. What other things is the NCL going to promote in these host cities? Absolutely. So, I mean, you know, the community programming will dive deep in each of our communities. And, and taking a step back, um, Jens, you had asked about the cities um, that we'll be hosting our four events in this year, Miami Beach, and then... Uh, 
Atlanta, Denver, and Washington, D.C. So those are our four major markets that will be producing invitational races this year. Um, each one of those cities, everyone knows, has uh, different nuances and different objectives. So we'll be working closely with those local organizing committees to build, you know, dynamic programming that, you know, everything from getting kids on bikes to how do we better, you know, how do we better the city with working um, on bike share programs or uh, cycling 101, encouraging people to come out for events that we'll be hosting. Um, Etc. So very similar to what you've seen in and around um, some of the major events in the U.S., we are going to deeply entrench ourselves in all of these communities because we envision these communities being part of our schedule from 2023 on. So that relationship is only going to get stronger and stronger um, as the years as the years go on. Um, so um, you plan then uh, side events with the city, like little kitty race or um, whatever husband wife races, or little a uh, bike bike trade, a bike fair show at the start and finish area, and and all that. Or how do I have to imagine uh, these events? You're spot on. Uh, very similar to um, what you've seen, maybe out there opening up the course, you know, 90 minutes before uh, the women's race uh, commences to allow elected officials, policemen, kids, you know, to actually ride before the pros, give them a, give them access and endear them to the experience and the event. But you're, you're, you're exactly right. Um, we're doing uh, whatever we can to uh, engage the local communities and uh, hopefully we'll have both of you out there. Uh, to, to be a part of it. But um, beyond that, uh, you'll also see things outside of what we'll call the race footprint and actual race course. Jens, I don't know if you remember, but you did a really, um, a really amazing job at the school program where you came out and did an assembly for an underserved community school. And I still know teachers and the vice principal at that school, and I still get messages from them about how impactful that was. So you spending an hour of your time talking to kids about health, wellness, exercise, you know, getting on a bike, that's been such an indelible, you know, memory for these kids that a lot of them still attach themselves to that moment, you know, that was several years ago. So that's how important the community program aspect is. I love it. I love it. I mean, there's so much out there for kids to do nowadays. And just exposure to cycling is it can be such a jolt to understanding a new sport, getting interested in, in a new sport. I know that, you know, a lot of, you know, when I grew up racing, we were doing the Tour de Trump, the Tour de Pont, you know, California, and you would see the kids that they would get out of school um, on the side of the road cheering for you. And it was maybe the first time ever that they actually saw a bike race. And we had Rod Ellingworth uh, now uh, with, with Team Ineos on a couple weeks ago. And I asked him, how did he get such a Trevor Trove of talent? Um, obviously, the UK is just crushing it in both in men and women, you know, track, mountain bike, uh, stage races, you, you name it. They, they are a juggernaut right now. But I asked him, like, how did that start? And he said he went around two schools and basically did exactly what you guys are trying to do, which ex is expose these kids to a, a new sport, a inclusive sport. Um, and, and, and I love that idea, but it's just so complicated and so complex. And getting to my question 
this sport is expensive, no doubt. Um, So who is, tell us a little bit about the management structure and some of the investors that have decided to invest in this kind of niche sport in America right now. Absolutely. And, you know, um, Paris Wallace, who is our CEO and founder, uh, is one of the reasons I was so drawn to NCL is he's just an inspiration all the way around. This is um, a serial entrepreneur who his last venture was a, a tech company aiding and assisting families to help start their families, right? So I believe the statistic, and I hate to be quoted on this, but I think 40% of the pregnancies and births in like 2020 through 2022 have somehow touched his platform, which was called Ovia Health. Um, So, you know, (laughs) this is someone who has the betterment of people, the whole of people in mind and at the, at the genesis of who he is. Uh, and once he got to a point, he basically got an offer he couldn't, he couldn't uh, decline. And so he sold Ovia and he was sort of semi-retired, but then I think he said about 72 hours in because he himself is a passionate cyclist, um, decided, hey, I want to make this better too. Um, and that was his jumping off point. So Paris, while an avid cyclist and extremely knowledgeable um, on the sport of cycling, has never even been involved with sports and entertainment and sports production, event production. That tells you how the level of passion that this guy is going to go full throttle into relying on his just (laughs) prowess um, of bringing people into the fold who have the same ethos as he does and to create one of the most prolific, I would say, ownership and investor groups I've ever seen. Um, David Mulgetta, he was also one of our uh, founders and board members, is arguably the most successful um, NFL agent right now. And he has then brought several of his athletes under his umbrella from Athletes First into the fold. We've got some NBAers in there. We have Collab Collateral, uh, Collab Capital. We've got so many amazing, diverse um injectors and and VC folks involved that it's changing the landscape of how we even approach the business. So, you know, while yes, we um, will be working with those endemics that we all know and love um, and and rely on, uh, you know, we're going we're going at who are our partner alignments going to be based on those same philosophical, um, you know, and core vision um, and beliefs, right? So community, innovation, and tech, um, DE&I, and sustainability. So sorry, I lost my train of thought there. But, you know, how how do we align ourselves with brands that best represent that versus us just going after the traditional endemic brands to, you know, to be part of our family? And I think that's that's one of the most special having come from 25 years plus in sales and activation and sports marketing to be approaching the sport from a totally non-traditional manner. So now it looks like you have a great plan, great people working there, some great partners. Now you need to get your name out there. You already have any sort of uh, partnerships aligned with TV uh, stations or newspapers, local newspapers, national newspapers. Who will produce the TV coverage? Will you produce them yourself and then give them to the TV stations? 
or what is the plan for the TV coverage? Because we all know TV is a must-have if you want to have success with your sport. Yeah, you're 100% correct. Um, so getting back to the rest of our leadership team, um, we oftentimes refer to ourselves um, almost more as a technological and innovating company, not even uh, a cycling event. So we're being driven by you know different different verticals that may not be cycling. Um, so at the heart of who we are, of course, is cycling. But we're going to use that as the platform towards the movement of the better good or the good good of the great rather. And one of our um, leaders internally, um, Tabitha um, Holbert, is about as brilliant of uh, a technological and um, innovating. Um, builder, you know, everything from uh, wearables to the back-end technology. What she's been putting together for the last several months is incomparable to anything I've ever seen. And part of that, Jens, is how do we evolve How do we evolve the product that's being consumed online? So on phone, on our website, streaming on site, and then again, what's going to be pushed out in the broadcast sense. I can't reveal yet who that partner is, but um, we will make the um, the events uh, streaming and or otherwise as accessible as humanly possible, because how do we get to the end game if we don't have a, a wide enough net cast in order for people to consume the event itself? Um, so it is a very important part of, of what we're developing. Um, and I think that, uh, folks are going to be, um, blown away at what, um, Tabitha has been working diligently on, um, behind the scenes and to, to even touch on that more, these athletes, they're not just signing writer contracts, they're signing writer contracts, they're signing entertainment contracts. So let's start thinking reality sports. Let's also talk about the fact that they're signing HIPAA agreements so that we are going to be able to push out live um, in real time data and analytics as it relates to power and heart rate and all those things that people who watch cycling already are um, are always hungry to, you know, to consume. So there are all these dots are connected um, through the technology vertical for sure. So that's where we're looking to distinguish ourselves from a lot of these other events. So I'm going to play a little, little bit of devil's advocate here because I am first and foremost a fan of cycling. I want cycling to get back to the glory days where from coast to coast, every single commercial, I mean, we still see it now. We see so many commercials involving the bicycle. And let, let's face it, the bicycle is one of those few sports that you can do forever, right? But we've seen investors come into the sport and make a big splash only to retreat a year or two later. So my question is, how is this sustainable? And what would the revenue stream be coming from in order to make this sustainable in the future for years and decades to come? Absolutely. So, you know, we're, we're ultimately structured as single entity, right? So we're the commissioner, we're the race invitational overseer, and then the team ownership also falls under us. So 2023 is our beta. We're going to prove our concept. And then just like any other league, we're going to scale and expand 
um, appropriately and sustainably so that we don't go in too fast and too hard to upset that, um, that forward movement and, and, you know, trajectory. So you would look at our 2024 schedule to be double the number of our teams, double, if not maybe more than that. Um, but we, we want to prove the concept out and we want to show how the criterium, um, racing format from a production perspective, you know, cuts your, you know, cuts your overhead almost in half because you're not having to shut um, 100 miles of roadway down a day. You don't have to put helicopters in the air. You don't have to put fixed wing aircrafts in the air. You know, we can deal with motos and fixed cameras and boom cameras and all, you know, drones. It's a whole different ballgame now that, you know, you can operate, you can operate drones on a very short course. Um, so, you know, sponsorship, technology, um, and then just the continuance of scaling each of this, you know, into additional cities and additional, um, additional teams. We'll see eventually how the profitability will come, will come down the road. So now, lovely project, but there's another obstacle to tackle. You had to approach U.S. Cycling and the UCI for that, right? To get everything officially under license, all that. How was the cooperation with U.S. Cycling and then also across the ocean, the UCI in Switzerland? So USA Cycling, well, we have a great relationship with them. We've been working with them for months. Uh, Chuck Hodge, who we all know very well, I had the pleasure of working with Chuck back when he was with Medalist, and they were overseeing our uh, logistics and production for Tour of California. He's working um, in lockstep with our team internally uh, with regard to rules and regs and everything that's going to go um, into the athlete um, racing portion of the program. Um, and then right now, you know, always collaborating with the governing body is of utmost importance. Uh, the way that the event is structured at being invitational um, will allow us to still um, approach and engage uh, UCI teams, but we don't have to necessarily be a UCI sanctioned event because we're an invitational. So there's a little bit of latitude there until we have all of those strategic alliances, you know, locked in formally. If you want to get more out of your free time, sign up to Outside Plus. For less than a dollar a week, you can get six print and digital issues of Peloton Magazine, exclusive membership content from Wellenews.com, access all the premium content from the whole Outside family, including Yoga Journal, Backpacker, Ski, Outside Magazine, and many others. And that's not all. There are discounts of the hottest gear and biggest events, access to Gaia, GPS, and trail forks, as well as virtual health and fitness courses. It's $350 of value in one $99 annual subscription. But if you head to valuenews.com forward slash outside plus and enter BJPOD25, all one word, lowercase, at checkout, you'll receive our special 25% discount and make a good deal. Great. Now back to our chat with Kelly. And this seems directed as much as the, the fans and the spectators, as much as the riders and the prize list themselves. So what can fans expect you know, somebody that they're visiting their first bike race of their life. 
what sort of show, I guess, entertainment are, are you going to provide for them outside of the racing? Because let's face it, our sport is kind of complicated, right? Like people don't understand drafting. People don't understand teamwork. So is there going to be some sort of fan education element to this? Or are we just playing to that endemic, you know, uh, population of cyclists that that know what they're getting into by going to the NCL races? Definitely. Um, so, you know, we would consider 70% of our audience to be that, that core avid cyclist. And then there's another 30% who that's where we want to put just as much focus on. Um, but we want to obviously pay very close attention um, and take the cues from that, that core audience of, of cyclists. Uh, but what we're trying to do is create a sport where whether you are, you know, Bobby and Jens walking on site, you understand what's happening. Or if you're, you know, John from Miami Beach who just stumbles upon the footprint and watches the event, there's going to be enough clarity there to understand what we're what we're presenting. Um, and an example of that, A, yes, our, our website will be flush with information of um, our Criterium Racing 101, um, but taking a step back even from there um, of just defining the roles between a sprinter and, a, and an all-rounder and, you know, explaining very similar to in the peloton of a domestique versus a climber versus a GCer. Um, so we, we're already working on those efforts. Obviously things are happening very quickly. So we're, um, we're, we're pushing out information, um, as fast as we can, but the way that our racing format is going to work, um, as I mentioned, we're changing it, uh, we're tweaking it, um, where everybody's used to criterium racing where last lap wins, right? Everyone kind of sits in the bunch and on lap 29, when the race is ending lap 30, everyone goes full gas. Um, what we're doing is we're attaching points to every single lap. So this is going to create a situation where the riders are more engaged. Um, our partners might be more engaged because we can attach certain things to lap numbers for a significance. Um, and then like, say for instance, seven eleven. you know, we're going to do on lap seven and 11, we're going to incentivize X and Y through preems, et cetera. Um, beyond that, it's going to engage um, the spectators on a way that they've never seen this racing happen, where they're going to see these athletes put their full effort into every lap and not just sit up on their saddles for the first 59 minutes and then go for it um, on that last home stretch. So those are the little measured um, differences that we're trying to trying to create that's going to make this a little bit more of a different um, experience. But we will have the full-blown expo. We will have... Um, you know, special events, whether it be team presentations or uh, special meet and greets um, on the more traditional side. But on the non-traditional side, uh, one of the more interesting things that we are um, working on and finalizing now is Think F1. And we will be doing a qualifying event prior to each of the four to establish your pole position. So we're going to be doing some really cool, almost call it human drag races on bikes, right? Um, to create that um, elimination and starting starting slot for each of these teams. So there will be about a, a three meter differential at the start line based on how you finish in the qualifications. So kind of a, a, another cool distinguisher um, that we're going to bring to the table to just further engage the fans 
bands. And that would be a separate event held the night before. So we're trying to create content. We're trying to create a weekend full of community programming, full of, you know, our partners getting the chance to activate in the expo and for the community to just come out and, you know, take it all in and hopefully walk away with a smile on their face and a better understanding of the sport and, you know, get get themselves in a saddle, hopefully. I love the idea of having an entire weekend for the community because there's more action going on than just, you know, a 45-minute crit from 6 to 6.45. That's a brilliant idea. So now you talked so much about technology and it is your product. What are the chances that every rider who joins your race, you can ask him, hey, you have to wear a heart rate belt and you will have to publish your live heart rate data straight to the big screen at the start and finish line or the, the wattage or the, the team radio so that every fan along the roadside knows exactly Whatever, rider Jimmy Smith is at 191 heart rate and uh, rider Joe Average is at 175 heart rate at 420 watts. Because I, I believe fans love that stuff. More tele technology, more data, and then they can compare themselves. Oh my God, you push 450 watts for 10 minutes. I can never do that. You have any plans of uh, doing that? We do. So um, for 2023, it will be for our 32 athletes, right? Because they will be underneath our, our agreement. Um, based, on how, um, based on how the relationships are with some of the other teams, if they're willing to um, open or pull back the curtain, you know, then I'm sure that we will welcome that. Um, but then as we scale and eventually, you know, the teams are falling underneath all like our umbrella, we'll be able to control that, you know, soup to nuts, basically. So that is definitely a driving force. And, you know, the reason, one of the reasons why that is so important is because we really are um, the first league and sport to um, very soon have the platform where you'll be able to compete in real time in the metaverse with the athletes. So I would be able to hop on my smart trainer in the metaverse and compare my heart rate with, you know, one of our athletes in real time. And how do I keep up with that? And what do I need to do to push myself? And working with our training program partner to how can I be on the same tra training program as athlete X, Y, and Z so that when I get um, on the trainer next time, I can actually try to beat them, not just keep up with them. So there's a lot of things that we're going to be empowering um, our athletes with, but then also just another touch point on how do we engage, you know, our audience and specifically for the metaverse piece, you know, there's the core cyclists and then there's the gamification, you know, talking about gen X, Y, and Z, right? So there's, there's a different way that you approach each one of those when you, when you start talking about technology. And um, that's why our tech team is so, so incredibly strong is they're being mindful in how they're creating and developing all these platforms to maximize, um, to maximize that engagement as we get there um, through the course of 2023. Um, and we'll, we'll do a, you know, a technological rollout um, similar to, to what you would um, see in other leagues where, you know, race or invitational one might look a little bit different from invitational four based on the technological advances on the back end. And that's what we're excited to showcase is look at what we've um, look at what we've evolved and changed from Miami to Denver. Um, and that's just going to show the true the true brains that um, that are controlling the technological ver uh, vertical innovation vertical on our end. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody expects you to just come out of the gates with a perfect product. You know, this is this is going to take time, right? Like Rome was not built in a day. Um, 
But one of those things that I feel that cycling is lacking at the moment is characters, like superheroes, right? Like back in the day, you had Hinault, you had Le Mans, you had all these major personalities. You know, I'd have to say maybe Peter Sagan was the last one at that level that had that following, not only because he was a great bike racer, but because he was a character. How will the NCL nurture those characters and will they actually promote that as, as part of, you know, the whole, the whole franchise? Absolutely. And not only promote, but exploit and not exploit in a negative connotative way, but exploit in all the good ways. Um, I'll always be a little biased towards the, the women's Peloton because I think from the pay gap piece, as well as then just um, how well educated and further um, degreed sometimes the women's side is because they have to supplement the salary, right? So it's kind of a chicken and egg situation. But I mean, we have, we have some of the most prolific athlete profiles that I've ever seen. And, you know, when we get to tell the story about these athletes and what they've accomplished and putting, you know, putting their degrees aside and stepping away from practices and finance and medicine and all the various other industries out there, because their passion for cycling is so is so intense. Like I, we can't wait to tell those stories and we're not far away from, from getting to, 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 uh, you know, basically reveal that to our audience, but, um, we're just not quite there yet. But, um, I think folks are going to be excited and and you're right. We need like back in the day, I used to say we needed a hundred Yenzies out there because, you know, I'll, I'll still never forget I think it was your breakaway solo stage win in Avila where it was a little tiny kicker right there at the end and you'd been out all day and the wind was shit and you were just, you know, in the usual, you know, shut up legs moment and you just kind of collapsed against, you know, the slant barricades at the finish line. And that will always be one of my favorite memories because you showed the perseverance and the grit and what a cyclist just sometimes has to do and wants to do because the passion is, is so there um, that Ree has done an absolutely amazing job of compiling these athletes that when we get to showcase them to the world, I think everyone's going to be very pleased with, um, with those personalities that are going to be out there and they're going to be very complimentary of one another for sure. So now, as Bobby uh, said, Rome wasn't built in a day. Um, please tell us, you have a three-year um, deal with your partners and sponsors, or maybe five years even, or is it a one-year test-and-try program, or where do you see yourself in two years or three years from now? Uh, I mean, each conversation is different, right? Um, there, are, there are certain corporations out there who have to run a budget over a fiscal year or a calendar year, and they can't commit to beyond that. Then there are other partners. I mean, I, I come from the philosophy of, um, you know, creating that continuity as well as creating that, um, you know, that, that vested interest where one, you know, one feeds the other. And the longer you have that equity based with, with a partner, you know, for instance, Amgen, how valuable was it that Amgen was our title partner for all 14 years of the Amgen Tour of California? You don't see that very often. Um, you know, it was earth, it was earth shaking when crypto.com stepped in and, and took the Staples Center entitlement from that 
world famous venue downtown LA, right? And but they managed to have that from 1999 to 2021. Like what a run, in my opinion. It's like those are the those are the relationships I love to be a part of because if you can get a partner who buys into you and your philosophy and how you want to run your business and you can grow together, that's that's the that's the ultimate prize, right? So, you know, we're approaching all those relationships with the the hope of longevity and then we'll just have to deal with, you know, each one on a case-by-case basis depending on on how they budget and how they how they see long-term versus short-term. Yeah, I think that you know, we, we've pretty much run the mill with the endemic sponsorship, you know, the, the bike sponsors, the clothing, bike clothing sponsors trying to sponsor, you know, a race or a team or a series. And if we can crack that code to get those sponsors outside of that normal kind of, um, I guess, pool of going back every year and asking them for more and more money, if we can enlarge that, that interest, I think that's going to be key. And that kind of brings me to my next question. Why do so many people watch professional sports? You know, hockey, football, baseball, basketball, gambling. So is gambling going to fit in at all in in this business plan of yours? Uh, Long term, uh, there's definitely been um, dialogue. Absolutely. Um, We also, I mean, California, it's a big, you know, big prop on the ballot right now with regard to allowing, you know, mobile ga- mobile gaming outside of uh, casinos. So yes, we are in tune to that and we are having thoughtful conversation around it. Uh, and we'll see sort of, you know, where it goes. You have to have quite a bit of accrued um, analytics against what is happening before you can just start throwing it out to <laughs> to uh, the gaming function. So as far as us having um, the materials and or the information um, readily available in 2023, it's not really a 2023 initiative. But moving beyond that, um, it, I'm sure the conversation is is constantly on on not just the back burner, but the front burner. So um, by the end of 2023, what would make you happy? What numbers? How many viewers or how many clicks on your webpage? How many participants? What would be some numbers or some ideas where you go, yep, that was a great year. We had a great start. It's never enough, Yenzi. Come on. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, it's interesting. It's it, because we're a non-ticketed event and cycling, you know, historically has not been a ticketed event. It's not been... Uh, 100% scientific and how you've established, um, you know, how many people are on the side of the road versus around the footprint or around a circuit. Um, I think because we are all criterium um, formatted, it's going to be a little bit easier to calculate with that on-site attendance. And then, of course, we'll couple that with our streaming and broadcast, you know, viewership numbers, etc. But, you know, for us, Establishing a baseline is where you always have to start. Um, so 2023, give me those numbers and then our group is going to work, you know, over time to then 5x that for next year. Um, for for me, if I get to walk into Miami and there's, you know, tens of thousands of people around that 1.5 you know, KM course, and it looks packed, it feels packed, there's energy, people are interacting, there's excitement, there's, 
entertainment going on, there's fireworks, there's musical guests. If we create a positive experience, then we only have, you know, that as as what I would consider a great baseline. And then you have to grow from there. So, you know, Amgen Tour California, we had we had no idea what that first year was going to look like. And we did the prologue up Coit Tower. And I'll never forget, we rounded the corner into downtown Santa Rosa and people were hanging off the parking garage. And we said, holy shit, what happened? How did this happen, you know, from yesterday to today? And I, I literally just got chills talking about it because that was the moment. That was the aha. Hey, we've built something here. Now, how do we go and make it better every single year after that? And that's exactly, and that's where I feel lucky having some, in, you know, some of the industry knowledge, similar to Tim Miller, who is our race director. He ran Richmond. Um, and then Reed, obviously, who's um, very established in, in the cycling um, industry. But, um, you know, we all have baselines in our minds and experiences, and we want to apply that knowledge. But we want to apply that knowledge with thoughtfulness, where we're also looking at everything through a different lens. So how do we take all the best parts that we know, but then go find other really cool parts to make this a totally unique experience? Wow. I love it. I love it. So my last question would be, um, so you have team black and team gold this year. You guys have a very successful debut season in 2023. The Bobby and Jens podcast wants to have a team in this event, in the in your events for 2024. We want Jens and I and the people at Outside and Velo News want to become a franchise owner. Is this something that is going to be open to, to everyone? Like, could we start a team and in 2024 be the owner of a franchise in the NCL? So ultimately... I believe, yes, I can't answer that in absolute certainty beyond 2023, obviously, because we're just fielding our two teams. But, you know, when you look at the true success of franchise model with the NFL, the MLB, MLS, you know, MLS is, is the most apples to apples comparison because of the, the single entity um, structure. When I started at AEG, Mr. Anschutz owned, I think, five of the 10 MLS teams. I think he and Lamar Hunt own them all. Um, so it's interesting when you're structured as such, right? Uh, but I think ultimately that's, you know, when you're talking about profitability and scale, you know, that's one of the things that you have to look at and contemplate, Bobby. Um, and it, I think it's an important conversation that internally we've been having and will continue to have as we scale and, and look at how the strategy takes us from 2023 and beyond. Kelly, my very last question is actually, now that we talked so much about your job and what you do, future projects, after working 12 hours a day on this project, what do you actually do in your private time? What do you do to relax? You go running, swimming, you cycle yourself actually to calm down from calls, Zoom calls and offices and what and whatnot? It's funny you ask because I started my morning at 6 a.m. on Zwift with Mari and then did her... Uh, her Canyon Ranch Pinarello ride. Um, so it was full circle getting to see you all today. And Mari, who's another one of my favorite people out there in the Peloton. But um, I, it, believe it or not, it took up until two, 2019, which was the last edition of TOC, for me to start riding. 
Um, and since then I've become a pretty avid rider. I mean, my partner also is a former professional and multi Olympian. So it's hard not to have that as part of your relationship DNA. Um, and so that's one of my favorite things is, you know, I finally get to, you know, unplug a little bit. And as we all know, cycling is cathartic. And that's one of the other reasons of, you know, that feeling of freedom and engaging the youth with bicycles. I think we all understood as, as kids, well, yes, I rode a bike. I just didn't wear chamois until 2019, but I always rode a bike. And that feeling of freedom, the endorphins just kick in. And the same thing happens when you're an avid cyclist. I mean, I'm avid. I'm not obviously on the same level as most of the company I keep uh, these days. But, you know, for me, it is that it's that shot of endorphins. It's that re-energizing. It's also just an ability to, to blow off all that energy from the day um, and then spend time with your loved ones, your friends, your partner, et cetera. So for me, the bike has absolutely come full circle and been why I love this sport so much and why I will continue to be loyal to this sport, because I think Getting on a bike is one of um, the most freeing experiences that anyone can um, that anyone can ask for in a sport that you can do by yourself with one other person or a pack of fifty to hundred. It's just one of those um, almost inex inexplicable um, types of feelings, in my opinion. Kelly, it was an absolute pleasure to have you as our guest uh, tonight, and we can promise you we will ask you again to come back to our podcast. After your very first season with the NCL, we can't wait to follow the project and to see how it all develops. Kelly, once again, thanks for being our guest. It was great actually to catch up and, you know, exchange some old memories. The uh, pleasure was all mine. And please know that you have an open invitation to Miami, Atlanta, Denver and D.C. for next year. Come out, enjoy it, be a part of it. Um, There's a lot of people I'd like for you to meet um, to help continue to spread the love within the cycling you know, community and our ambassadors, who you all are two of the best champions out there I know. And to get this time with you guys was um, phenomenal. And I, I miss your faces and hope to see you more often. Well, that's all our time for this week. Huge thanks to Kelly for being our guest. Please give us a five-star review and make sure to share us with your friends. The show was a Value News production in association with Shock Giraffe. The producer was Mark Payne, and this episode was edited by Tim Mossa. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bobby and Jens and share your cycling stories with us.